Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section with me, Ashley Walker. And me, Charlie Smith. And in today's episode, we're going to do uh, a sort of second part to our little kind of series we're doing called Three of a Kind. Last time we talked about Paul McCartney. And in doing so, we kind of talked about this fellow as well that we're going to talk about today, Jeff Lynne. And um, what I love about this is, um, I don't know about you, Charlie, but in doing research, I thought I knew Jeff Lynne and ELO and, and you know, some of the stuff he'd done. But kind of finding the picks to fit this criteria, I realised how many I didn't know. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, it should be interesting. So we've got our, our three categories, haven't we? The obvious the obvious track, uh, you know, obviously a, either a big hit or one everybody will know, but you can't help but love. The groovy one, maybe a slightly lesser known one, but one that has a great groove. And then the deep cut, which is one that's probably, you know, overlooked. So do you want to kick us off with your obvious one? Yeah, and it, it was weird writing some of these that you, some of the stuff you thought was maybe obvious to you or obvious to us. When you actually look at some of the listening figures on it, you go, actually, that's not as popular as, say, some of the one you would think would be maybe a bit less obvious. So, so yeah, my obvious one was was just just purely a favourite, which uh, I've I've loved for a long time. And it's uh, Showdown, which was about what about nineteen seventy three, I think it came out, uh, and. It's weird what turns you round to songs because I I overlooked it a bit until I was this years and years and years ago listening to some old John Lennon interviews and he did an interview on US radio, uh, probably in the mid seventies and he he named this as his favourite ELO song which sort of pricked mm. my ears and went oh I better go and listen to that um, <laughs> and he actually referred to ELO as son of Beatles which I thought was quite nice. You know, I think he liked what they were doing and sort of what they were, what Jeff and in particular was probably doing, continuing some of the, some of the ideas the Beatles had sort of started on Pepper and later on in the, in the sixties. So, yeah. so yeah, Showdown is is quite a kind of a, I suppose it's sort of like a, a slower, just more meat and potatoes groove. Uh, you know, there's not really much happening in the drum world. It's it's pretty straight all the way through. Bev Bevan's one of those players, as we, as I, I know, we'll probably talk about later on in a couple of other picks, where it's just really down the down the line. He's not really deviating from from the groove much, and it's it's nice because it just lets the uh, lets the bass line just sit on top of it, and the bass line's a little bit more um, a little bit more involved. Some nice little runs and and bits and pieces. Um, even just at the very top of the song, the little the, the little run that gets the bass in is is really really nice. I always quite like that little moment. Um, but it's for me, it's just got everything that a great ELO track should have. You know, the sweeping strings and that really nice change of going from legato strings to pizzicato and stuff. That's you know just on. It's so so Jeff Lynne that you know, and you can just tell it's one of his, you know, it was that he was arranging and co-arranging strings at that point, um, and just the group, the the entire song has that. I think Paul McCartney put it best in the in the Jeff Lynne documentary 
that I know both of us have seen probably numerous times, and if you haven't seen that, would recommend. Um, uh, and he just said, it, you know, the ELO music, you, you just it just rolls over you. And I think mm-hmm. that's just, this is a perfect example of, of a song that just for me, you, you listen to it without really listening to it, you know. Mm-hmm. You, just, you can just sort of, it's the sort of song that you can just sort of relax into and just enjoy. You know, you're yeah. not picking it apart all the time like probably we do a bit too much with <laughs> with certain uh, certain artists or certain genres of music, definitely. Um, but yeah, and the, 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 the little crowning sort of glory in it for me is the, the, the orchestral interlude towards the end where it just goes into complete free time and then straight back in with the groove uh, to, to the last chorus. And I just think that's a, a stroke of genius as far as arranging it. I don't know who put that there and thought, well, why don't we just stop the song for an undetermined length of time, put a lovely orchestral pattern in for about five bars and then get straight back in. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's my, that would be my obvious one, I think. So what about you? Well, I think it's interesting um, what you're saying there about sort of the drums not not being a lot going on with the drum part, and I think it's um, I think we know I don't know if we touched on it before. Um, sort of Jeff Lynn was one of those, and and this sort of mid seventies, early seventies era when they started doing the looping, didn't they? And and I think was it D- uh, don't bring me um, don't bring me down, was it? Yeah, um, that's that's all looped. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise you really. I think there's a lot of that going on with this stuff, but. With my um, obvious one, like you were saying, it's it's funny in the, doing the research into it. It's, I wanted to use this as my obvious one because I just think it's really hard to pick. You know, the what you think is the best one or or your favourite one. Um, and They're I just think also re- good. <laughs> yeah, and it's what's funny as well is I think we both neither of us have gone for what a lot of people would say is the obvious one, Mister Blue Sky, um, which yeah. I just think. It kind of, I think, number one people have spoken. There's been enough said about it to sort of, um, you know, we don't need to kind of go over it. And secondly, it's just, you know, we've both probably heard it a million times. And with this pick, my one, I've gone for um, telephone line, and it's one that, you know, I there was a period where I used to listen to it a lot. To be fair, but going back to it today, I just absolutely love it. And um, yeah, it's it's one. It isn't. It is an obvious one, but it's not probably one that people go to straight away. But it was, it was. I think it went to number eight at the time in the UK. I think number one in Canada and a couple of places uh, around the world. Um, there's a great acoustic version of it uh, on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen with uh, Richard Tandy on piano, and um, and Jeff just playing acoustic guitar, which just shows their, uh, you know versatility yeah there's i think that's part of it there is a full 40 minute or so concert that they did i think it's called the bungalow sessions named after jeff's house but yeah if you haven't seen that 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 entire sort of house concert if you will um is just beautiful and you just hear the banter between the two of them just you know having a few false starts with things or trying to remember how how they did this or that and yeah it's I, i love that that concert that's something i could it's the sort of thing I put on if I've got something to do, you know, if I've got a, yeah. something, to, you know, writing some stuff out or tidying up or, you know, whatever, cleaning, whatever it might be, you know, that's a classic of just something sort of easy listening, but still with that bit of 
great musicianship and and everything that we that we love yeah and the the track itself the the full version you know there's obviously just stunning harmonies which you expect from uh, a jacqueline song the string arrangement is great um and i love the as we know and we have talked about before jacqueline obviously heavily influenced by the beatles as you even touched on there and you can hear sort of i think the george martin influences in his string arrangements you kind of hear him in this one and the way that you've got kind of that classical you know sort of crossover with the strings and then in the uh, the sort of doo-wop section you've almost it's sort of like a 50s throwback and um you know and then the whole thing of the song being this telephone call i think is just really clever and the way they recreated that really retro not retro at the time but that 70s the phone call sound when you know the dial-up thing yeah i think they i think i heard it in an interview or, or read somewhere that they they literally called made a phone call and it would have been british telecom at the time or you know bt as we know it now and they, i think they literally went on and, and got the the two notes that make that sort of um that dial tone um you know it's very yeah it's it's one of those things they could have just rang it up and recorded it through the phone but they they decided <laughs> to recreate it because that's that's what elo do <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that's my uh, my obvious pick, telephone line. So yeah, and yeah. I think it's probably good good to say while we're on the obvious ones that there is an album of that Jeff put out about twenty twelve where he basically re-recorded all of Yellow's hits himself. You know, there was stuff that maybe he wasn't happy about the first time, and and it's interesting listening to that versus the the originals because it is it's definitely more if you want to say polished. But for me, this although the the rhythm sounds a bit more, a bit cleaner and a bit nicer, the strings don't don't match because I think he's probably using really good plugins and stuff and nice synthesizers and all that. But the strings just don't equal what they did back then. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just us being like that certain charm of the originals that we we like. But it's worth in it's worth a listen because because he recorded it under ELO. It's really hard sometimes to distinguish, especially if you're looking on Spotify or YouTube, which recording is the original ELO and which is his re-recording. But you can tell the difference if you know both. Yeah. But yeah, it's just worth worth mentioning. You know, if someone's got more time on their hands, go and listen to yeah. the new versions and the old versions, because they, uh, it is an interesting comparison to make. I think it's um, worth saying as well. You know, it doesn't need to be said, but he's just like such a genius, I think, and one of the most underrated artists. And, you know, what we were saying about him being influenced by the Beatles and George Martin, you know, the difference being that the Beatles had someone like George Martin to do those arrangements, whereas I think with a lot of this stuff and the stuff that he would go on to produce for other people, it was him and in some instances Richard Tandy and stuff doing those arrangements themselves. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> So on to groovy ones. Let's let's have a little uh, dive into some into some ELO <laughs> groove. Um, so yeah, I mean my pick for this was quite an obvious one, and I mean if anyone knows this this particular track, within the first four bars, you know why it would be. Yeah. Probably a a, a fairly standard pick for this, which would uh, be Last Train to London, which is off the Discovery album, uh, I believe. 
which would have been late seventies, about seventy nine, and I think yeah. it was also released as a double A side uh, with Confusion, um, which is another great tune. But um, but yeah, for me this is um, I, it's just like that really funky uh, bass line. I suppose it's almost verging on slap bass at the time, but not totally. Mm. Um, and sort of, uh, it's got that sort of disco twinge to it that you sort of expect from the late seventies. Uh, with again Bev Bevan on on kit, just keeping it super super simple and and locked together, and sort of letting that bass line take the take the uh, the crown of it, um, which I believe was Kelly Grokut. Uh, yeah. or Graukut on bass um, and yeah it, you know it's it's just one of those songs that y- you can listen to over and over again and it's just it never gets dull I think that's probably this we can say the same for a lot of ELO and Jeff Lynn stuff in general is you know you, you're always finding new little string lines or new little things hidden in there that you hadn't heard before and you just catch them every now and again. You go, oh, I didn't didn't realize that was going on. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like for me, that's sort of all of the best bits of ELO put over a very disco bass. You know, I say bass line as in the the bottom of the band is 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 very <laughs> disco, not just the bass line. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but then it's got all the ELO strings over the top and. The luscious harmonies and all that, and um, a really nice, um, a really nice uh, piano synth solo in the middle, which is which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, I know when that we were trying to think of the uh, the groovy ones for this. I had heard this one before. I think through you, through you telling me to check it out. Um, and so for me, going for my groovy one, because again, like I said at the start of this episode, I thought I knew ELO and knew. What, but then when it came to groovy ones and what we think of as a groovy one, I was well, you know, that has a great feel or that has a great drum, you know, thing going on. Um, but yeah, that's the obvious one. And it is, it just has such a great, you can't help but sort of bop along to it. It is really cool. Um, so for, for me, looking for my pick, I think it's off the same album. And, um, you know, you've got that track on there. And then the one I went for was a track that I hadn't heard until, you know, doing the research for this one. I think I listened to it this first first time I heard this track was yesterday. Um, but And to start off with it, you know, if you listen to it off the back of this episode, you might think, why have I gone for it? Because the start of it is just this gorgeous melody on almost like a theremin sounding uh, instrument. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and it's, so it's, it's an almost sort of ballad uh, called Wishing. Um, it's sort of, it's not quite a ballad, but it's got a, and again, very simple sort of, the bass line is grooving, but it's fairly simple. Um, and same with the drums, but it's just kind of, as we like to say, in the pocket. Um, it's just sort of sitting there. Right, really reminds me of sort of an average white band um, sort of ballad of that era. Um, quite syncopated, but simple. Um, and the string lines listening to it all the way through towards the end i think going into the last course really remind me of love's theme that um that track the barry white uh track um and that again harmony is very sort of beatles-esque uh towards the end i think it's sort of that abbey road era kind of sound 
Um, but I was listening to it and then looking at the reviews and everything and of it, and I just thought, what a great song! I've never you know heard it before. It's certainly going on my um, my playlist now. Yeah, I can't really argue with those little uh, unexpected surprise tracks like that. I mean, like you say, it was it was one that certainly wasn't on my radar when you told me you were picking it. So it was it was one that I sort of only heard very recently too. I think I'd heard it on the album when I've had the the album spinning, but it's no, it's one of those that you sort of you have to really tune into to go to to appreciate. You know, if it's just yeah. sort of if you're just letting it pass you by, you probably wouldn't wouldn't clock onto the just what was going on in there but when you when you actually put it on with intent to listen it was like oh this is a this is a great track yeah. and i think it's it's probably going to end up on my uh <laughs> on slight, my slightly more regular listening as well yeah i remember um listening to an interview cuz you know with that as well um you know what i was saying about the love themes the love themes uh, string kind of sound in there and i guess the as well that was the era the sort of late 70s kind of disco thing and i know i remember listening to an interview a couple of years ago when i was really uh you know used to listen to uh out of the blue all the time um and you know i think in the 70s it was kind of for a lot of people seemed a bit unpopular to be into elo it was kind of a bit of a lame thing for for not not musicians but for just average you work in uh joe kind of thing um on the on the street so and I can kind of, when I was listening to it, I can kind of see why, because it's, you know, it's almost, with the strings, probably a bit more sophisticated for that era. Um, but doing the research, listening to these songs, and a song like Wishing, which we'd never heard before, they're just one of those bands that, in fact, all these, each album that we've picked our tracks off, I could probably listen to all the way through, and kind of like every, love most of the songs, and even the ones that, lesser known I probably still really like so it's very unique and I think we'll both be kind of doing some more listening after this episode yeah I suspect so <laughs> um so we've got then we've got our sort of deep cuts pick you know our lesser known and maybe one that's buried in a in a great album like yeah talked about. uh yeah now this is where we you know I sort of had the opposite thing to you of of I found it hard to find a track that was a real, you know, that I knew that was a real deep cut because I thought, well, every track when that you think, oh, that's probably a lesser known one. When you look at it, it's, it's got, oh, it's actually quite popular. It's been exactly, on, you know, because yeah. they just had that that knack of making so so many hits and so many great sounding records, you know, that they're, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen ELO or, or in the modern iteration but the entire set list is pretty much all hits you know there's not there's not really any b-sides that are lurking in that in the entire uh set list because it's all stuff that you would know you know mm. um and it's what you know ELO is one of those bands that if you don't if you're not fully aware of them it's the sort of band where you could hear one song and think, oh, I don't really know much ELO. But then the minute that you start hearing other ELO songs, you go, oh, well, actually, it turns out I know all of these. But you didn't necessarily realise it was the same band. So, yeah, this mine's a bit more, a bit less of a deep cut, but just more of a, a song, I think, sort of really underrated and has a bit more mm. of an interesting backstory to it, which I thought was worth having a chat about. So it was uh, the, 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 the tune I actually picked 
is a Jeff Lynne tune, but wasn't originally recorded by Yellow. It was, uh, it yeah. was a song called Do Ya, um, which was recorded, I think, in 71 when he was in the move. So obviously this is him, Roy Wood, Bev Bevan, Richard Tandy, all pre-ELO happening. I think ELO started, their, their first ELO album was 72, either 71 or 72. But they were basically working on this move album as a record company obligation at the same time. So they mm. did, they, they put this song Do You on it. Um, and then when ELO got started, they started performing it live because it's one of Jeff's tunes. You know, obviously at that point they didn't really have, they probably had one album or two albums of worth of material to to pick a live set from. So obviously they were probably picking stuff from the move or stuff from other other stuff that they'd done to add to the set list. Mm. So that it became a, a, a set list favourite. And um, I was reading a, a Bev Bevan interview and he basically said... <laughs> The reason they re-recorded it was uh, because a music journalist asked the band their opinion of the original version of that song, in inverted commas, which this journalist said was by uh, Todd Rundgren. Uh, and his, his, the band that he was with at the time, Utopia, who'd recorded, uh, who'd been performing that song at around the same time and released a recording on another live which was a, a live album that utopia did and, and i think they were all a bit cheesed off that they they were basically crediting this song to them even though it was a the move had done it originally uh, and so they decided <laughs> to re-record it as elo to let everyone know it was a jeff lynn tune <laughs> which i thought was yeah. quite interesting but and i know this was i think some a bit of news to you because i sent you the the move version this morning uh, to have a listen to, and I made some notes on why, what I prefer. But I just, just for interest, why don't you let's throw it over to you and just see what you made of that original version? Yeah, as I think you said it's so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought it was that, um, that different, but it's so raw compared to, you know, the ELO version and. I don't know if it's just because of the, you know, they got more sophisticated or what it will maybe his production, you know, Jeff Lynne's production um, kind of improved or whatever, but yeah, it's so raw and it's kind of funny to think it's the same, you know, the same people or certainly Richard Tandy and, and Jeff Lynne. Yeah, it was, it was basically exactly the same lineup because from what I was reading, they were recording the first ELO album at the same time as they were recording the last move album because they had to do a move album for contractual obligation yeah. uh but they didn't really want to do it because they'd already started this new band called ELO and they were already making what turned out to be the first ELO album self-titled or it was also re referred to as no answer uh that first ELO album so yeah, so they were. I, I suppose their head was in other places. I don't know whether it was just rushed or they just were like, well, you know, just do it the way we've always done it, hammer it out and sod off. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like you say, it, it is a really raw version to listen to, and it is a bit. It it does seem a little bit like it was probably rushed at the recording stage. You know, things aren't totally 
synced up where you would normally expect them to be. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is considering this is not like a bootleg or anything. This was released on the Moves last album. Um, but for me, the ELO version is more polished. And um, the stuff that is on the ELO version, that when you go back and listen to the Move version, you miss, or at least I do. So it's like those opening slide guitar, uh, you know, uh, glissandos, if you like. Uh, they they are like the signature of the track. And when you listen to the Move version, they're not there. Yeah. There's a slide guitar a bit later on that doesn't do, you know, that's not doing what, what, what you're used to hearing. And then obviously the, the strings that they stuck all, all over the... Um, all over the bridge, which really lift it up. The original sounds a little bit, bit jangly and a bit sort of one guitar and a bit of lead over the top, where yeah. they they really went to town with the orchestration later on and and have probably put a lot of what they'd learned on that first yellow album into into uh, use, you know, loads of strings and guitar overdubs and you know synths and all that. Because I, I know that first ELO album was basically <laughs> was was Roy Wood with and Jeff Lynn, and they got hold of some cheap Chinese-made cello, and Roy Wood just taught himself how to find notes, get a sound, and he would just go in and I think the if you listen to One O Five Three Eight Overture, which is I suppose the first real true ELO song, um, which is what sort of birthed the whole thing. And there's, I think they said it was it was Roy Wood playing the cello fifteen times, overdubbed and stacked on top of each other to make it sound really big, um, you know. So it's, I suppose that that what they sort of learnt doing all of that of where where how to, how to then orchestrate for when they probably got real string players in later on and did things a bit more properly. But you could sort of tell they were at that discovering phase. Yeah, of that late move, early ELO stuff, and then, but yeah, I think I, I definitely prefer the ELO version. I don't know about you. Um, it reminds me of when you listen to Credence Clearwater Revival songs after listening to the covers or after playing them with a band. Not no disrespect to Credence Clearwater Revival because they've got some cool songs, but they just sound really lame compared to the covers or or the version you know that you do with a band or that kind of thing, but. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, I, I sort of get that. There's a bit of charm in the originals, which I suppose yeah. there is with this as well. There's a bit of a bit of enjoyment in listening to the the moves version, but I think the ELO version has a lot more about it. And I and I think they probably spent it was probably all those years of playing it live that really honed an arrangement and honed it to be really studio ready. Yeah. Um. So for my deep cut, um. Yeah, like you were saying, I, I mean, I found it quite easily because I, I knew i wanted to pick this track but i don't know like you say it, I did, it it was part of that album out of the blue which obviously is big hit and everything and it probably is known so i'm just gonna let that one slide uh so, but it's a song called across the border um and the reason i wanted to pick it was uh you know when i was sort of started to get into music and growing up this was one of the albums that was in my dad's car and traveling to gigs with him and um i used to make him play it to death he made the mistake of playing it to me once and me liking it and then we had to listen to it all the time and this was just one of those tracks i loved 
you know everything on the album but this is one that just weirdly kind of jumped out at me um at the time i think it's probably that frantic energy kind of in the verses which listening to it again yesterday um without um you know looking into it or anything at that time i thought about the verses i just thought that sounds a bit kind of like um heroes and villains the beach boys um like in the verses so then doing the research on it i saw that it has been likened to that and the uh, you know it's very rem reminiscent of that song and the um yeah sort of the melodies quite similar and the actual feel of that sort of chugging along thing um so i don't know if there was any lawsuit there i don't think so but uh and then the actual you know obviously it's very mexican sort of themed with the trumpets and i guess that's kind of the nature of the song across the border um but the actual vocal sort of style in the verses really reminded me of bob dylan and obviously we know that later on they'd go and do a traveling wilburys with uh with bob dylan and, and george harrison and all that but yeah just the the sort of in the verses and some of the the way he sort of sung it it just reminded me of it just that sort of late like nah, 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 kind of thing <laughs> it just reminded me of bob dylan um but yeah i just i love this i love the song and um you know again great string arrangement um and so yeah for sort of the nostalgia and and it's you know it's all that kind of verse and then you've got the, the sort of little chorus section which i think very catchy and it used to always yeah just one of those songs that i had to listen to so that's what i went for yeah it's another one that for me was a, a bit of a, a bit of a a new track to listen to in the sense because you know i hadn't heard it you know maybe again maybe heard it once or twice but not really paid much attention to it but yeah you're, you're not wrong it's a it's a really cool little track and and again like we said before you know it's quite nice to do these sort of little rundowns because not only do they hopefully give uh listeners and watchers and and all that something new to listen to but also sometimes us <laughs> we get yeah. something new to uh <laughs> to dive into which we maybe either haven't heard before or haven't really appreciated before so it's uh it's always interesting and yeah if you are listening to this go on out go on the socials and suggest who we should maybe cover in an, in another one of these three of a kinds you know we've done paul mccartney we've done jeff lynn is there any any others that we uh we should be chomping at the bit to uh to run run six tunes and discuss them like we like we have in this one a little bit yeah i think as what's true of jeff lynn and possibly others we may do is you could just go in you could do another three of you know the songs that he produced for other people or i know in doing this episode we talked about you know we could have included the traveling wilburys we felt like i loved his work on george harrison's stuff the brainwashed album and um you know cloud nine and, and those projects but yeah, yeah like you said it, it gives you a chance that for us and hopefully for the listeners to go and check check them out and listen a bit more in depth yeah and it goes both ways we could have just as easily with jeff lynn gone before ELO and done the stuff he did with the move yeah. and then before that i think it was the idle race uh <laughs> that he was with where he had his first first single you know that he wrote i think it was called imposters of life's magazine which again go listen to it <laughs> it's it's very bizarre it's very mid to late 60s it's got that sort of 
sort of uh, Telstar-ish sound to it, you know, very primitive sounding. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's also the song he got. It was his first ever songwriting credit, and he got miscredited on it as G. Lin, <laughs> without the <laughs> E on the end. <laughs> Which he wasn't very happy about when he saw the single and thought, "Who's that?" <laughs> no, no, he on Lynn and what does what does G stand for? Gordon, not Jeff. Uh, but yeah, he was uh, he wasn't best pleased about that. But it is it's quite an interesting uh, song to go back and and check out. And you know, I don't know if you had any other on, honorable mentions, but I mean, the whole yellow catalog's pretty much an honorable mention, I think. In in this case. Yeah, yeah, I love. Obviously, we know of and we talked of um, the the tracks, he, the two tracks he did for the Beatles in the nineties. I love, and that we I talked about "Free as a Bird" on our track of the week. I love the production on that, um, and yeah, the brainwashed album, George Harrison. Um, I love what he did to that. It was obviously released after he died with Danny Harrison, his son, and Jeff Lynn, and yeah, did injustice. I think so. Yeah, that'd be my. I think the the Roy Orbison stuff's great to check out as well. You know, I mean, you know, some of the the stuff Jeff did with Roy Orbison's great California Blue and uh, You Got It, of course. Uh, some of that is great to listen to, and and some of the yeah, like you said, the Wilbury stuff, the Tom Petty stuff. Again, I think gets a bit overlooked sometimes in Jeff Lynne's catalogue, even though they were at the time absolutely huge songs and you know really popular. Um, but also Jeff Lynne's solo album. I know we discussed this the other day, which uh, you know he's done a couple of odd solo projects over the years. You know, either under the ELO banner or under his own name. And the one that we were talking about was Long Wave, which was all the sort of covers of tunes that he liked as a kid or growing up, or that have meant something to him, but done with that really polished Jeff kind of style. Uh, you know, I know there's a great version um, of uh, She. On, on long wave you know the uh, sort of very classical sort of tune but also stuff like um somewhere beyond the sea which is equally brilliant to hear jeff singing and um but i think my favorite track on that would be mercy mercy which is i think a rolling stones song uh, and they did a great video uh <laughs> which we, we we enjoyed watching of when they were doing the the jeff lynn documentary where they filmed him playing playing it with himself five times <laughs> over, which was just a really cool idea and, and sort of sums up, I think, everything you need to know about Jeff is just, you know, he's probably the best kind of control freak. In yeah. That he just, he can, you know, in, in the same way as, like, Paul McCartney post the Beatles, he can do everything himself. You know, he plays yeah. great bass, he plays great guitar, piano, drums, sing, you know, sings great, the, the harmonies are all bob on so he's like yeah he's a, a bit of a not a jack of all trades but a master of all trades yeah i think that's a perfect place to end it as well so yeah yeah i hope you've enjoyed this episode of groovecast and we'll see you next time